Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here tonight, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you that you are building your church. Thank you that you are faithful, Lord. Yes, Father, as we go through this topic of fellowship tonight, Lord, may you just come and shift hearts, Lord. And may the world, Father, teaches us to pretend, Lord, and to, you know, just when we meet with people, Lord, put up the best foot forward, Lord, and pretend that everything's okay, Lord. Yeah, we know that everything isn't. Yes, Lord, we have a good Savior, Father. It walks a road with us, Lord, and you've poured out your spirit in us, Lord, and you're walking a road of growth with us, Lord, but still we fall short, Lord. Still the effects of sin, Father, abound in our lives, Lord, and the lives of those around us, Father. And thank you, Lord, for a place, Father, where we can grow together, Lord, and where pretense, Father, can just fall away. Real people doing real life together. And thank you, Lord, that you are the foundation, Father, upon which that fellowship is built. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Vian. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a real honor and a privilege to break open the Word of God tonight. And I just want to say, you know, for if you were wondering, there is a special benefit, prize, you know, gift that you receive if you are one of those people that at the end of school vacation in, you know, the cold come to the evening service. So just so that you know that, you know, even appreciates it. <laughs> You guys, you will see your endurance rewarded well. Um, and it's great to be here tonight. And we're going to speak a bit about the gospel, the foundation of fellowship. The gospel, the foundation of fellowship. In this last couple of weeks, we looked at the value of the kingdom. This parable Jesus told, you know, of a man finding this treasure, of a man finding this pill. And in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the pill. Investment in the kingdom, that is the worth of the kingdom, to, to joyfully surrender all that we have so that we can give everything. We can give ourselves to God because he is worthy of it all. And last week we looked at building upon the foundation that is Jesus Christ as individuals, what we can do, what will have significance in life at the end is if we build upon the foundation with gold, silver and precious stones led by the Holy Spirit, then that is the church, that is us. We are the eternal building on the eternal foundation. And in light of that, and in light of fellowship, we have to ask ourselves, but what is the foundation of fellowship? And what is it that some people grasp that allows them to have meaningful fellowship with one another? And what is it that certain people don't understand that causes them to continuously struggle? Just struggle to press in. And an interesting thing, if I mention three words, you know, church, Christian, Christianity... Interesting how three words can produce such a vast amount of emotion in different people. Now, certain people hear those words and they think to themselves, man, that's family. I can't imagine myself doing life without these people. There's a realness, there's a support, there's a love. And while other people hear those three words, they think to themselves, man, if I don't have to deal with those people ever again, I will be better off. And I think about rejection, hurt, and pretense. How is it possible that the same three words produces such a vast mix of emotions? 
And twofold, yes, because sometimes we don't understand fellowship. We don't understand what it is, what it's based upon. And because we have a wrong idea of it, then we get hurt. Not because of anybody's fault, but we expected something that we shouldn't have expected. And other times it simply was because we maybe sought it at the wrong place. Not every building with a cross on is a church. Not every place where people sing songs and someone stands with a mic in front, that isn't the church. The church is every redeemed believer whose spirit of God was poured out into that person and who's busy following God with a pure heart. Yes, fallen. Yes, broken. Yes, making mistakes. Yes, sinning every now and again. But yet willing to follow God. And the church is a group of those people that earnestly want to follow God. And the authority is the word of God. And the one they follow above everyone else is Jesus Christ himself. That's the church. And unfortunately, that isn't every institution that called themselves the church. You see, there's been many things done in the name of Christianity, but it wasn't Christianity. It wasn't Christ-like. It wasn't initiated by Jesus. It wasn't according to scripture. It would be like me stealing a Sasol Baki and driving through town and causing some chaos. Hitting a couple of people and like the average Akunda guy driving over a couple of lampposts. And then people say, hey, look what Sasol does. Isn't Sasol just someone in a Sasol Baki? And many times the same thing happens to Christianity. And while that is the one case, many times we struggle in real Christian community because we don't understand what fellowship is. We don't understand what knits us together. And we expect the wrong thing. And we don't get it because we cannot get many times what we are looking for. So what is it that we need to comprehend? What is it that certain people understand that allows them to connect deep, deeply and meaningfully that some people just don't get? And we're going to read through a passage of scripture in 1 John 1 from verse 3 to 10. And as we read through this, I want to let us focus on two things. Firstly, is purpose statement. Whenever you read the words in scripture, so that, that is a purpose statement. The reason for what is happening, the reason for what is writing, the reason for what just happened is so that the following might take place. And John is saying he's writing this passage of scripture, he's writing this book to these people so that, two things. Firstly, we might have fellowship with one another, so that you might have fellowship with us. That's the reason why I'm writing, so that you might have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So the reason is fellowship, and one thing we have to note here is that fellowship with God is inseparable from fellowship with his people. He is the head from whom the whole body joined and knit together grows. Fellowship with God is fellowship with his people. The Spirit poured out on his people. So that's the first reason. Secondly, he says, so that your joy might be filled. When we experience this deep fellowship with God and with one another, there is a joy that gets filled. And while that is the purpose statement, there's also a couple of conditional statements from verse 6 to 10, five of them. Scripture says, if we, meaning that this is not going to happen automatically. There's a right way of doing it and a wrong way of doing it. There's three negative if statements and two positive ones. So let's read through this as we focus on that and see what we can learn together. 1 John 1, from verse 3 to 10. <coughs> That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, speaking about Jesus, his life on earth, his ministry on earth, so that you too may have fellowship 
with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that your joy may be full. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we live in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Strong words that John ends this passage with. And one thing that we have to note here, that whenever scripture makes a purpose statement, whenever it says so that you might be forgiven, so that you might have peace, so that you might have joy, so that you might have fellowship, it means that we don't have that. You with me? Jesus came to forgive, to give life. What does it mean? We need forgiveness and we don't have life. And what John is saying is so that these purpose statements, fellowship and joy, it's something that we struggle with. Humanity in general struggles to connect connect deeply and meaningfully with one another. We struggle with fellowship. And while that is the fruit of something, the root of it is sin. We see it going back to the garden. The moment Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing they did? They hid from God and covered themselves with leaves. From the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame to hiding and covering themselves. Because sin entered into the world. And from that day we struggle with fellowship. We struggle to connect deeply. We struggle to be real with one another. There's a tendency to pretend. To be someone that we're not. The causes of sin. From God and from one another. And the effect of that is that we lack joy. Why? Because we were created for fellowship. With God and with one another. We were created in the presence of God for the presence of God. And in Genesis 2, while the writer is writing about everything that is good in this perfect creation, it says it was good, good, very good, and then not good. What was not good? It was not good for man to be alone. Created for fellowship. And here we see the fruit of sin and what it produces in our lives, a tendency to pretend the inability to connect deeply and meaningfully. You know, whenever we look up the definition of, of fellowship in secular terms, it says a group of people that comes together around a certain goal or certain likes. A very shallow thing. And whenever the goal isn't my goal anymore, whenever the like is not my like anymore, then the fellowship crumbles. But Christian fellowship goes a, a little bit deeper than that. And there's a tendency to shy away, but there's something that we have to understand here. And one of the things is sin. The effect of sin. The definition of sin. And you see, many, many times we struggle with this and we don't realize this. Because our view of sin is skewed and our definition of sin is shallow. You see, the secular world and something that has happened, many of our thoughts and the way we view certain things, we've actually adopted from secular worldviews. The way the secular people view humanity, you know, they'll divide it up into two broad groups, good and bad, which is 
kind of strange. Because if you have a secular mindset, there's no absolute moral laws. There's no absolute ethics. So it's even difficult to distinguish between good and bad. But what they'll say is, someone is good if they do good for themselves and little to no harm to those around them. Because it's survival of the fittest most. If you don't believe in God, you know you evolve and the strongest will survive. So a good person is someone that does good for themselves and no to a little harm to those around them. A bad person is someone that doesn't do any good for himself and does harm to those around them. And many times we adopt that view as Christians. We think there's some good and bad people out there. Well, Scripture says there is no good people. We're all corrupted by sin. We all are dead in sin. There's no some good people, and, and we say that sometimes, you know, they, but they're good people. But I'm a good person. Don't understand why bad stuff's happening to me. And we actually adopted that from secular worldviews. Scripture says, no, the, the picture is a little bit different. And it's interesting because as I tell people my testimony and what God saved me from, you know, I live the kind of lifestyle where even secular people would say, that man needs help. Now, maybe the the biblical definition of sin is true because that, that doesn't look normal. That person needs help. And many times we adopted it, you know, and as I tell people my testimony, and as we sometimes speak about people, you'll hear this phrase coming up in church, man, he's really far from God. Someone ever hear that? Maybe say that? Oh, God really needed to save them. And per definition, when we say that, we are implying that we were not that far from God. We added a little something to our salvation. God didn't have to do that much to save us. Now, we weren't dead in sin. We just had a little cold in sin, a bit of flu. We needed some vitamins, not the gospel. No pun intended. Many times we view it that way. But scripture says, no, all of us were born dead in our sins. And not only were we dead in sin, we were led by the devil and destined for God's wrath. But harsh. And some of us, you know, point one and three, okay, we get that dead in sin, predestined for the judgment of God, but led by the devil. Come on, man. I went into the occultic stuff. I never dabbled in Satanism. How can you say I was led by God? First of all, I'm not saying that scripture does. 1 John 5, 19 says, we belong to God, but the whole world lays in the power of the evil one. Maybe the best definition, short definition of what's wrong with humanity in general is Ephesians 2 from verse 1 to 3. And it says, we all were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's the devil carrying out the desires of the body and the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's the problem. Dead in sin, led by the devil, destined for the wrath of God. Luckily, verse 4 is, but God being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. But nonetheless, that's the problem. And that's a problem all of us have. Look at what John says here, in verse 8 and verse 10. Luckily, in the middle there, we see this beautiful solution in verse 9. But it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, 
and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, that is present tense. No matter how long you've been saved, no matter how long you've been following God, if you're sitting here tonight and you say you have no sin, Scripture says you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. And the interesting thing is we're not deceiving God and we're not deceiving one another. The only person being deceived is ourselves. But we cannot lie to God. We cannot deceive God. We only become deceived in ourselves. So we have sin here and now while we're sitting here. Per implication, we need grace and we need forgiveness. Today, as the first day, we called upon his name. Amen. But the good news, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, past tense, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So scripture said you needed to be saved and you need grace and forgiveness now. Nobody's born a Christian. Nobody's born saved. You know, and many times when we speak to people today, you know, and it's difficult, I get that, because we grow up as traditional Christians, thinking that we are something that we are not. And many times when we realize that our lives are out of line with God's word, we don't say that we coming to him initially, we're not saying we're coming to him for the first time. We tend to say stuff like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get back on the road again. I'm going to try a little bit harder again. Scripture says we were never on the road. We didn't begin on the road and straight away. We, begin, we began off the road. And we couldn't even get on the road. We needed Jesus to come take us back like Malcolm so beautifully shared. What we need to satisfy, we can't afford. And it's not free, it's paid for by Jesus Christ. That is the bad and the good news. And I have to ask us as we are sitting here tonight, have you ever been born again? Has verse 9 been true of your life? Have you ever confessed your sins? Turned to God for the first time. And if you have, have you made a habit of that continually? When was the last time you confessed your sins? How often, how regularly? Because scripture says, even though God came and he saved us, yes. He came and freed us from the penalty of sin. And he's in the process of relieving us from the power of sin. And eventually from the presence of sin. But we still have sin. And yes, we are growing in holiness. Yes, we're growing in sanctification. But nonetheless, the root of sin is still producing fruit in our lives. How often? Have you ever been born again? Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, Nicodemus being the teacher of Israel at that time, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Do you have the spirit of God? Romans 8 verse 9, for those who do not have the spirit of God do not belong to God. Verse 14, those who are led by the spirit of God, they are the children of God. You see, modern day Christianity teaches that if you're a Christian, you can assume you have the Spirit. The New Testament says if you have the Spirit, you can assume you're a Christian. But it works the other way around. Has this happened in your life? Do you know that you need salvation? Have you been saved? And do you know that you still need grace and forgiveness now? Because if you don't, you'll struggle with fellowship. Take us to point number one. The foundation of fellowship, we all have the same problem. We all have the same problem. It's the problem of sin. 
And it might manifest differently in each one of our lives, but the root cause of the trouble that the humanity finds itself in is the same. Sin. And the root of it is not necessarily what we do wrong. The root of it is that God is no longer king. A.W. Tozer says, man no longer has peace in his heart because God is enthroned there no longer. Because God is enthroned there no longer. But it doesn't matter how it looks in the eyes of the world. If it's not following God, if it's not loving God, then it's distorted. Like Shantai said, this tornado that we don't want to let go of, eventually it will hit something and it will bring destruction. And the reason this is important for us to understand is because the person that struggles to comprehend this will struggle with fellowship. Why? Because he will always think that he's better than, more holy than. And what tends to happen is you enter into fellowship and someone wrongs you, offends you, or says something that you doesn't like, and you think to yourself, man, I'm going to go get another group of people. Why? Because I'm perfect and I expected them to be as well. That is not the case. We have to understand this, otherwise we will be prideful and we'll think that we are better than. We'll struggle to connect in reality. And the problem is not that people are more sinful than we are. The problem is we are deceived. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we think we are better than, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But we are the ones that have a skewed view of reality and the people around us. If we don't see the effects of our sin. There's a story in Luke 7 verse 35 to 50. You can just write that down and go and read through it. But a familiar story that many of us will know. A sinful woman coming to Jesus, anointing his feet. And there's a Pharisee sitting there thinking to himself, man, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't have allowed her to touch him. While Jesus is thinking to himself, if you knew what kind of man you were, you would have done the same. And Jesus tells the story and he says, a money lender lent money to two people, for one 500, for one 500,000, forgave both. Who loves him more? And the Pharisee is the one with the greater debt forgiven. And Jesus says, yes, you answered correctly. Look at this woman. She loves much because she's been forgiven much. And Jesus isn't saying that the Pharisee doesn't have that much sin. And the sinful woman does. He's saying, no, the Pharisee doesn't understand the weight of his sin. See, many times we think sin's out there. Scripture says it's in here. We're not only affected by sin, we produce it. It flows from our hearts. And yes, hopefully as we follow God a little bit less every day. But nonetheless, it's there. And we have to understand this. If we don't, we think we are better there. If we understand this, but we don't understand there's a solution, we always feel inferior. Man, I can't come because these people are so holy, shining at night, even when the lights are off. Now here I come. All of us don't shine, it's just me sometimes. Like Moses. Just making a joke, obviously. Just wanted to state it in any case. Look at what John says. Fellowship looks like when we understand the problem and the solution, and when we don't understand the problem. Or the solution, verse 6, the person that doesn't understand it. If we say we have fellowship with him, the deception, while we walk in darkness, we lie 
and we do not practice the truth. An interesting thing there, you know, it doesn't say you don't know the truth, it doesn't say you don't believe the truth, it says you don't practice the truth. The Afrikaans say, you don't need the truth. Why? Because truth is not primarily something to simply just understand, it's something to live out. And when we say this, we are not practicing the truth if we still walk in darkness. What is walking in darkness? John 3.19 says, the people didn't come to the light, but they loved the darkness because their works were evil. The reality of what we are busy with that goes on in our heads, the stuff that we pursue, it isn't Christ-like. It's not honoring to God. It's not based upon a life that loves Him and follows Him. And then we struggle to be real with one another, our intentions, our motives, and the actual things that we do. But there's a pretending that's going on. That is walking in darkness. And then verse Seven, the person that understands the problem, but also the solution. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You see, person six constantly struggles with fellowship. In fact, scripture says he doesn't have fellowship, doesn't understand fellowship. Well, the person in verse 7, he understands fellowship and connects deeply because we know that even though we share the same problem, we also have the same solution and that is a saviour in Jesus Christ. So we can be real with one another. And we have to understand this, that this tendency to pretend, this tendency not to be real with one another, the world is constantly trying to teach us to do that. Social media is based upon that. And you primarily get two groups of people, the one person that's constantly trying to show the world how everything's just fine and perfect and nice. And I wonder many times when I look at that, who are you trying to prove? Are you trying to, to convince the world or yourself that everything's fine and okay? Because you can sense the emptiness of it. And then the second group of people are those that kind of, you know, try to quit on this idea of fellowship, but you can't because you were made for it. And people that will post stuff like, you know, a lion doesn't concern himself with the opinion of sheep. And then you're wondering why the lion is telling that to the sheep. You really felt that way? Why do you post it on social media? You with me? If you really have a healthy relationship, you don't need to show people that on social media. Says the person on social media. You with me? Doesn't make sense. Trying to overcompensate, but yet they're longing for it because they were made for it. It's the constant things that we see, and we need to fight against that. I remember, you know, with me and my wife before we came to salvation, you're know, constantly trying to show people that we're actually fine, we're actually perfect. Myself as well, you know, busy with the wrong things that I want to hide away. I want to be confronted by people. And something that we also have to note here, that if you are busy with the wrong things, you will tend to shy away from fellowship. Are you with me? There's a reason you don't want to gather with those walking in the light. Amen? Because we have the wrong perception. And I mean, my wife, sometimes when we fight and we go to small group, I don't know with who that happens. I don't know why I always have to fight before small group, you know. But now we fight and we're on our way to small group and luckily some of our small group members live in Trigarcha. It's a bit more of a longer drive so we can resolve more of the conflict until we get there. But sometimes they come to us and it's mid-fight. 
We've had no chance to resolve this. And I just said to Robin as well, you know, it's no use pretending. And we walk in and I tell our small group members, if you want to know why she's not calling me, leave it tonight. It's because we're busy fighting. We haven't reached the end yet. We're still busy. And that's fine. Why? Because we all have the same problem. We all have the same solution. There's no need to pretend. And then it's interesting to me, you know, two specific areas. We know this, even in a secular sense, that everything in life someone taught you because you don't know. Everything. From grade 1 to 12, the studies that you went, how to ride a bike, how to dress yourself, how to go to the loo, you know, someone taught you that. Don't even know that. We're busy at the moment training out the boys. But everything someone taught you. And then it comes to two primary areas, you know, that we, we struggle with, but we don't want to tell people about it. I don't know why, but we think this we have on our own when we get married and when we get kids. Everything else we were taught, but this one we'll figure out on our own. I don't know why we do that. It's not worth You can be honest and genuine with people. You know, sometimes you hear about certain people going through stuff, or all of a sudden you just hear they got a divorce, you're like, what? They were the happiest couple ever. I mean, look at their social media post the last two months. It wasn't actually that way, and it didn't need to be that way. You see, the person in verse 6 says, either pretend that you don't have a problem or go and fix it on your own. The person in verse 7 says, you can't, and you don't have to. You can't deal with it on your own. You don't have to deal with it on your own. Takes us to the second point, the foundation of fellowship. We all have the same saviour. We all have the same saviour. You see, worldly fellowship is based upon a group of people finding something that they like. Christian fellowship is based upon a loving God finding a people that he bought for his own possession. But God did the finding here. He did the bringing together here. He built the unity with his spirit poured out upon us. A loving God doing a great work. And guys, here we just have to pause for a moment because I don't know why we do this, but this just have to sink in for a moment. That for some of us, the healing that we need, the restoration that we need, your pride is keeping you away from it because you're not being real with the people God placed around you. Let that sink in for a moment. The healing that you need, withholding yourself from it, your pride is keeping you from it because you don't want to be real with the people that God has placed around you. And I told it this morning as well, when me and my wife, we have a bit of a scuttle, we're not you know, seeing eye to eye, it just seems like we, we can't resolve this thing. We found any in Berlin. We tell them, hey, we're struggling to resolve this, why don't you just come sit near what we have to say? And they come and they sit near, and he has explained to us why we miss one another every now and again. And it helps us. And we have to understand something here, that not only is your lack of sharing and vulnerability and realness keeping you from growth, but it's keeping someone else from being who they're supposed to be in the church. God placed them here for that reason, and a group of other people as well. they made to do that. God placed them here to help you go through that, but they don't know you're going through that because you're not being real. Whatever need you have, it needs emotional, physical, spiritual, if you don't tell the church, you're not only keeping yourself from growth, but you're hindering the church from being the church. Amen? It's not going to surprise anyone. 
It's not going to be strange to anyone. And many times we think to ourselves, man, but now they're going to think strange of me. That's going to be weird. It's going to make me feel uncomfortable. Scripture says, no, when we connect deeply and meaningfully, that leads to joy. So that your joy may be full. Real relationship with God, real relationship with people leads to a joy. Why? Because we were made for that. We were made for that. Otherwise, you're going to continuously going to stress, you know, and, and, and worry about whether they're going to find out or not. None of you live here is. Well, we at least know something that we all struggle with sin, so you're not perfect. Because we're not. We know that we have the same Savior, and we all needed saving. That's the foundation of it. What is strange is when people pretend that everything is okay, then we get suspicious. Because we know that's not what Scripture says. I'll going to okay, obviously. I'm not saying you always have to have a problem, but we can always grow, we can always learn. And many times we have problems as well. But luckily there's a body of Christ to help us work through that. Amen. Uh, that inevitably leads to the third point then. When we have the same problem, when we have the same saviour, there's a desire in us to tell that to the world around us. Verse 3, 4 and 5 says the following. That's which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. We've seen, we've experienced, we've heard. And we'll have the desire to proclaim. So that those might also have fellowship with us. There's people out there that don't have fellowship and they're in need of it. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy might be full. There's people whose joy aren't full. And this is the message we've heard from Him. And proclaim to you that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. And all of a sudden we're not forming a group of people because we have a similar interest. Or I, I see that you can actually benefit where I want to go so now you can join. No. It's much deeper than that. Now we are united not only with the same problem, the same saviour, but also with the same mission. And that is to make Him known. And we continuously remind one another of that first. But then proclaiming to the world secondly as well. But we are here for one another and we are knit together with something much more deeper than the same rugby team that we support. Takes us to point number three. The foundation of fellowship. We all have the same mission. In John 17 verse 21, Jesus prays and he says, Father, the glory that you've given to me, that you are in me and that I am in you, a relational glory I've also given to them that they also might be in us and that they might be one even as we are one, that the world might know that you sent me. So not only do we have the same mission, but the unity that we share actually proclaims to the world that God sent us, that fellowship, that oneness, that realness with one another. And I have to say something tonight as well, you know, that if you are in no sense and in no way, in no shape or form, busy with the mission of God, to make him known or to make disciples of the nations, then you might have friends that might be Christians, but that is not godly fellowship. Amen? But it is united around the purpose of God. And I'm not saying that you should quit your hobbies and your day jobs and all of that. No, I'm just saying align it with the purposes of God. If you're doing it with believers, constantly remind one another we have the same problem, the same Savior. Together on the same mission. And if you're doing it with the lost, remind them that there is a problem and there is a solution. And that they can join the mission. Amen. 
but needed for us to understand. And then also the inevitable outflow, something that we have to realize. You know, many times we come to church and we say, no, I don't like, you know, these group of people. Why? Because they click. There's clicks here. Have you ever heard that? I want to ask you a question. If a group of people are united by the same problem, the same savior, and on the same mission, and they meet week after week after week, connecting deeply, doing real life together, praying with one another, wouldn't it be weird if they didn't click? That would be strange. So we click because we do life together. But the good news is the click is open. We call them small groups. You can join a click. You can click together. We love to click with you. But we are going to click and it would be weird if we didn't. It would really be strange. But inevitably when we come together, it's that group of people that think, hey, there's my people. And we come together and we click. So come click along. You might click out of sync for the first while, but eventually you catch up. Now, this doesn't mean that when you come Wednesday for the first time to a small group, you're all of a sudden going to be family. No, we're going to be strangers. We're going to have something in common, but we're still going to have to get to know one another. In a couple of weeks, we'll be friends. In a couple of months, we'll be family. In a couple of years, you'll think to yourself, how did I ever do life without these people? Amen. And the final question, if we have this in mind, if we understand this, if we know this, and someone offends you, or someone wrongs you, what's your response? In light of we all having the problem of sin, in light of we all having the same save, in light of we all sharing the mission, if someone offends you or wrongs you, you go to them, you forgive one another, and you move on. As simple as that. You can imagine Jesus, you know, telling the disciples, hey, forgive one another. And they say, no, we haven't done anything to one another yet. And he says, yes, yes, give one another a week. You'll get to it. Why? Broken people. Following a perfect God as he grows, heals and forgives and gives grace. We are going to wrong one another. The whole Christian concept of fellowship is based upon a broken community. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Why? Because we're not only produced and we're also affected by the sin of those around us. Teach one another. Why? Because we don't know. Encourage one another to love and good works. Why? Because we're slow to love and we're slow to good works. But it's based upon a fallen community that grows together as we pursue a God who saves, who extends grace. But the person that doesn't know this, someone offends them or someone wrongs them, they go and find a group of people that are perfect because they think they are. So if you're sitting here tonight and you have offense of someone, you're sitting here tonight and someone wronged you or you wronged them, go to them. Extend grace, forgive one another. Let's move on. And let's build the kingdom of God together. Amen. Let's stand and pray together. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come together tonight, Lord. And firstly, Father, the extension, Father, of those of us who've, who've never come to you initially, Lord, never surrendered, never confessed our sins, Lord, never experienced, Lord, your spirit filling us, Lord, never experienced newness of life, 
Jesus came to give life. Do you feel like you are truly living? If you are here tonight and you don't feel like you are truly living, you never surrendered to God, you've never drawn near, you never confessed initially, you're never aware of the weight of your sin. You might have thought you were a Christian, but you realize that there's some point that I need to become one. I, I haven't been one all along. The simple truth is, Scripture says, confess your sins, return to Him. If that is you tonight, just there where you stand, lift up your voice to God. If you don't even know what to say, just say, Lord, here I am, Father, I'm returning to you, Father. I don't know the words to say, but Lord, lead me. I want to give over to you, Lord. And that scripture says, if we confess our sins, not that he might, or he will consider it, or he'll think about it. No, he will forgive us our sins. And he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross was sufficient. That is, you just there where you stand, lift up your voice. But don't let this moment pass by. If you are standing here tonight and you can't even remember the last time you just confessed your sins to God, you were so focused maybe on the sins of those around you or the people that wronged you, constantly justifying yourself, looking past the sin in your own life. And Lord, in this we pray that you'd lead us, Holy Spirit, and come and show us, Lord, if that is us. But if that is you and you just want to return to God, He's faithful and just, He'll forgive. But it's an if statement. It won't happen by itself. You need to confess that sin. You need to turn to God. If that is you, just there where you stand. Lift up your voice to God. Maybe there's some of us here and you harboring offense. Someone has wronged you. You've wronged someone. Whatever the case might be. And you haven't gone to them. First of all, repent of being slow to go to them. Because God says, go to them. And second of all, ask God to lead you. To go to that person. Don't wait. Don't be slow. Be quick. Go initiate that conversation. And where you need to extend grace, extend it. Why? Because it's been extended to you. Forgive those people. Forgive. And where there's offense in your heart, many times people don't even know why you offended or what happened. Go tell them. Go speak to them. But because grace was given, we can extend it. Because forgiveness was given, we can extend it.